Interest rates are down. Cap rates are even lower. The multifamily industry is just exploding in prosperity and profit. High occupancies, rent growth, low supply, high demand. We wish this was the case. Unfortunately, all that took place back in 2021. Different story today. We're seeing the early signs of distress and fear in the multifamily industry, as well as commercial real estate, but multifamily in particular. We're going to be breaking down some interesting articles today and discussing just that. What is the What are the immediate causes of concerns? What you can do about it? How can you position yourself? But also, what are the opportunities that are in front of us? How great capital and our team, how we're positioning ourselves to take advantage of the opportunities today, and then as well, the opportunities that are going to begin to emerge next year in 2024. A couple pieces that we're going to be discussing on the report from the Mortgage Bankers Association Quarterly Survey of Commercial Multifamily. Hey, you know, we're going to be talking about the banks. I'd like to hear from the NBA to see what they have to say, what they are forecasting. Also, back to the fundamentals from RealPage. After a rapid cool down, apartment rents seeming to have plateaued. Well, we got to get through the winter, but uh, so far things are looking not horrible. From Christian Wakefield, Got their multi-family monthly update, preferred equity update. We're going to be talking a lot about preferred equity and how it is really sitting in a sweet spot of risk and return and an incredible amount of demand from not just investors, but multifamily operators as well. And then from Reuters, U.S. regulators agree to ramp up oversight of systemically risky non-banks. You know, a lot of the debt's not just coming from banks, it's coming from non-bank lenders, private equity firms, hedge funds. Biden administration asking some questions about it, looking at possibly regulating it. You know, they, of course, you know, they they know what to do when they're going to regulate something. It always is really good for the economy. Um, also a piece from Multifamily Dive where they asked uh, yours truly a couple questions and we gave them a response. We'll learn about it more. So if you're a multifamily investor, active, passive, you're in the industry, you're just kind of casually curious about the whole multifamily space. Um, fortunately, you're in the right spot. Great Capital YouTube channel, specifically the Great Report, breaking down all the latest research reports, the new data, articles, opinions, and just the happenings of what's going on multifamily industry, commercial real estate, residential real estate, and the macro economy, giving you the best information to help you make some really well-informed um, decisions, especially in these uncertain times, trying to clear things up a little bit, given that we don't have a crystal ball. Dr. Matt Boston, our gold director of communications and marketing here at Great Capital, producer of The Great Report, is joining us in the Great Capital studios in, I would call it um, Overcast, Indianapolis, mm -hmm. Indiana, in the heartland from the Midwest. All right, we got a great show. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Report. Dr. Boss, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good this week. <laughs> it, it's a, um, you know, the seasons are changing. As yeah, we've mentioned yeah. before, I'm, I've been on the road this week, but talking to a lot of owners, mm -hmm. and I'm talking to a lot of um, lenders as well, a lot of people in the industry. And, you know, Matt, we've talked about this period of kind of max Q, or max pressure that the mm -hmm. industry is going to be going through, you know, starting, you know, in October. And we put that report out, you know, first what, back in uh, June. Um, you know, identifying this period of time for the industry is going to start again experiencing a lot of pressure. We had to wait for it to come true. We did. You know, it was more like early, you know, November. You know, yeah. but um, 
more and more today, you know, we are hearing stories of multifamily investors and operators, whether that's, you know, limited partners in a deal and a syndication that is essentially going to zero, mm-hmm. they've lost everything, or conversations of foreclosures. Um, you know, I just was reading a report, Matt, of office foreclosures, not multifamily, just I'm talking about office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are just, there are keys, you know, being handed back to the bank, um, you know, more and more every single day. Yeah. Not happening as quickly in multifamily. The default rate is still relatively low, but with these higher interest rates, high inflation and expenses, and mm-hmm. subdued rent growth, it's created a recipe that if you were a, a buyer in the last several years and um, you know acquired a deal that you know needed a lot to go right, not all of that has gone gone the right way, and you might be in a troubled situation. Yep. Now, there's a lot of opportunities out there that we're starting to see in kind of untraditional ways. Um, but you know the market has changed. We've heard this concept of the great reset um, in the economy, specifically for real estate. We're still transitioning through that, but we're not out of the woods just yeah. yet. And Matt, the question that you were asking me and what we were discussing before being the show is a lot of people are trying to call the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are we there? I think CBRE said that the bottom was a couple months ago and cap rates stop um, expanding. Before we get into the Mortgage Bankers Association piece, what's your take, Matt? You're, you're, you're I mean, you're researching this stuff you know, every single uh, day. What, what, what's, are we at bottom? What are the experts saying? I don't think that, I don't think that we're at bottom. I don't think that there'd be this discussion about like all these alternative solutions to funding if we were at bottom. Yeah. Um, no one's cried uncle yet, right? Yeah. No one's, no one has cried uncle, but we have had, we, um, we have had a lot of things that, that are starting to happen that, can't but otherwise be people that are being put under pressure because of the stuff that we were talking about, whether it's multifamily loan maturities themselves or the the bare fact of persistent high interest rates or which we've also talked about, like an inoperable uh, an, an inoperable investment plan that that's not working because you didn't get the growth, the rent growth that you wanted um, or that you planned for. Well, un- unfortunately, there were the whole breed of buyers um, that their business plan was further cap rate compression and cap rate yeah. staying low, and the opposite has happened. Um, so then if you also don't get that rent growth, that's kind of a double whammy. And then if you've got a loan that's coming due, you're so far off the mark. And the reality is, you know, there's a lot of deals where, you know, there's, you know, $20 million, there's $20 million loan on the property, but the property's mm-hmm. only worth 15 or $18 million. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that creates an issue. I mean, it mm-hmm. has to be restructured. You know, the bank is going to probably have to take a, you know, possibly yeah. a little bit of a hit. Um, and, other cases where they can just work it out, but they need an injection of capital. Yeah. And where's that's that going to come from? That's what I was thinking. You know, for every dramatic example that you do see and that we have seen, there are uh, a dozen examples of people that it's not maybe, you know, huge blowout, but it does mean that they're going to have to make hard decisions that they would not have otherwise made. And that means either going to, you know, preferred equity or going and maybe trying to put it on on sale or, yeah. or something. They're looking for things. And if it was and if everything was looking like it was normally, yeah. then maybe I could believe that, that that the market has hit bottom. But the, but the fact is, is like people are looking for more expensive lending, and how does how is that going to lead to more expensive apartments? Um, usually, when interest rates go yep. up, and 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 again, like this is a uh, this is all based on too another prediction about twenty twenty four, and um and I think that there is so much willful um, blindness or just negligence 
of the fact that we will have a challenging 24. It's not going to erase any of no, the man, It's all going to be good. Yeah. It's well, going to be fine. Here's the thing. It's going to be just like a little bit normal. I think it will be slightly, normal, yeah. slightly better than 2023, yeah. okay. a, a little bit lower than historical averages, but not enough to to get the growth that will justify this narrow gap between interest rates and cap rates right now. I, yeah, I, I could see 24 being pretty slow. I, I yeah. think I think normal growth, I think, is, um, I don't know if it's base case or it's optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we may see that through 24 um, and halfway through 25, you know, to be honest. Yeah. There, there's the reality that, um, you know, it, it's almost like time was compressed for during halfway of 2020, 2020 through, you know, 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, we had um, five years of growth. Um, yeah. Or in many cases, eight years of growth in 18 months or so. Yeah. Um, you know, as time expands, now it's going to refract. Now it's almost in a time where, or a scenario where mm-hmm. we're seeing, you know, time slow down and yeah. that growth slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, the time compressed, now it has to expand again. And yeah. it could be a little while of just slow growth. But Here's the upside. So this all sounds really, you know, doom and gloom. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, so the the financing is drying up for all these development deals. Mm-hmm. We've, we're building a lot right now, but we we're still digging our way out of a hole from yeah. enough um, housing units yeah. and in the specifically rentals where renting has never been made more m- made more sense mm-hmm. relative to buying. There's a huge demographic that is, you know, it's forming households right now. There's a lot of household formation going on. Wages are, you know, growing, you know, nominally relative to inflation. We've actually mm-hmm. are seeing some decent wage growth. Yeah. So a lot of the fundamentals for apartments are really solid. The, 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 and it is the most attractive investment type, uh, yeah. you know, and like there are several studies out there that are, that talk about like, no, this is a really popular asset class. People are pouring into it. There's a couple Globe Street articles out um, that talked about, oh, no, the, the, their capital is flowing back into multifamily. Now I would read that with a great big asterisk, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But but again, there is attention that's pay, being paid mm-hmm. for of of the property types. I I'm guessing that people think that multifamily probably has the most uh, legs, has the most like stability. It's uh, there's a couple transient uh, events. Yeah, uh, you know, if you can borrow a term from you know Mr. J. Powell. Mm-hmm. I mean, the supply onslaught. You know, which we you know have pretty good insight into. You know, what's yeah. coming down the pike, as well as what is being turned off, as AKA you know financing for these construction projects. So mm-hmm. it's hard, it's hard to start a project right now because you can't get financing. Yeah. Um. So so we 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 know that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. But right now, today, there's too much supply and interest rates are too high yeah. and there's no growth. It's kind of a, you know, a triple, you know, kind of death blow for, you know, a lot of deals, especially if you were counting on certain assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who's willing to um, the smart investors are going to find opportunities, you know, now at a good price. Mm-hmm. They're not very many, if any of those out there. But to get to 25 and 26, but then the question is, you know, now do you do you look you have to always be looking for deals you can't you yeah. can't yeah as i forget who who said of it was i think maybe john seabury um from marcus on Millichap, you know no one's going to call and tell you when that market is bottom yeah, yeah. and when the deals you have mm-hmm. to, you have to be in it no the, the deals might not make sense but you have to be an active participant you have to be making offers you have to be communicating with brokers and owners especially because i think that the market is just much more competitive than it was pre-pandemic like i i think that and you've mentioned this before. I, I do think that ultimately the cap the cap rate 
is going to is going to end up on a lower than than 2019 side you know once everything kind of the rubber band effect in the wake of all this movement yeah. it will probably end up at a because people have poured in so much people yeah, they're not I think coming it's gonna back have, i think it's gonna where well you know i don't know if we know where the peak is yeah. you know there's gonna be some probably high cap rate deals at, at, at very high cap rate deals at some point that are gonna be more distressed because there's there's either stuff that everybody wants or there's stuff that like nobody wants. Mm -hmm. And um, now they are, there may just be no buyers at some point if everyone's so afraid. You know, we, we, we've kind of gotten past the denial stage. Yeah. You know, now I think it's more of a little bit more of, of the fear of it's like we're kind of like realizing it, but we're just yeah, we're just we're anticipating it. Um, yeah. You know, but we, we got a couple other stages of grief to kind of to go to flush everything out the yeah. system. Um but it, it it's tough it's tough to navigate yeah. right now um, and and i think that we're seeing you know signs that oh there's some real pain that people are starting to feel whether it is you know the that story of some yeah her story of an lp i mean they've yeah. lost everything i mean the, the whole investment it, it's gone and um mm -hmm. cr um analyst uh matt they, they made a post on, on like yeah. a couple of days ago that's anticipating that the you know the value declines uh, they're forecasting value declines they got multifamily value declines estimating you know close to forty percent potentially over over next year from from I now what the time period is but yeah, yeah basically yeah. And that's where like the bottom you know may be okay and in that scenario you know equity basically is taking a fifty percent um, you know haircut in, yeah. in, in multifamily now that's only if you have to transact like you have a loan mm -hmm. coming due. And you have to realize it. That's the, the kind of the sort of the magic thing about, you know, uh, illiquid investments is, you know, paper losses and paper gains. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't take our some big paper gains, you know, with pricing of 2021. Well, if you're not selling, you know, today, you don't have to realize that higher cap rate environment. And if you structured your project where you can have a longer term hold and you can, you know, select your time of exit or have yeah. more flexibility, you know, yeah, the, we're not marking the market, you know, these assets every single day. You can, but, you know, it, it's not real. You're not yeah. actually realizing it. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have a structure, which you have an expiration coming up and you have to have a capital event, you may be in that scenario where um, things aren't turning out the way that you wanted it to. Yeah. And the, 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 the reason why multifamily became such an attractive investment asset class over the last couple of years, you know, was the stability. I remember this was one of our sales pitches. Oh, yeah. yeah We're insulated from the vicissitudes of the crazy market, of the crazy stock market. True, and, and, and but the the stability that I'm specifically talking that that is true. Yeah, and 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 that, and that is still true. You know, yeah. I mean, the private investments. I mean, if you look at the REITs. I mean, they're they're way down now. They may be projecting where things may be going, but again, we don't have to necessarily real. You don't have to necessarily realize yeah. it. The reality is, man, even even deals, some deals. And I, we were talking to bank and lender that we work with a lot, and he said they they were meeting with Freddie Mac and. There's a lot of deals, not just the bridge loans, mm -hmm. but there's deals that originated seven years ago mm. that are underwater. Oh, weird. Because I would think that, you know, the the ones that yeah, it was the I flurry know. of 2021. I know. I know. Me too. Wow. Me too. That's how, that's how bad it is. And, and Freddie Mac, you know, they're working on, they're trying to develop their own preferred equity program because mm. they know that there's these large equity gaps mm -hmm. um, because of all the maturities that are coming up yeah. and trying to find solutions. Huh. Everyone's trying to, you know, find, you know, the, you know, the right tools to kind of, you know, bridge this gap to where, you know, interest rates will become, you know, lower. 
hopefully, maybe. Again, yeah. it's, it's hard. You can't really count on it. But, you know, if you don't have a choice, I guess it's what you can hope for. Yeah. Um, and for growth to pick back up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a, there's a lot of hope that's that if you look at things in, again, if you look past 2024, it looks great, but there are specific due dates yeah. and these are due dates that maybe could have come along a little bit beforehand, or maybe people be, should have been worried about beforehand, but I think that maybe they waited because there's no use, you know, no use worrying about it today and having to have that difficult conversation um, with your investors today when you can just wait until uh, the maturity happens or, you know, the week beforehand or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's make it the bank's problem to figure out, hey, we're not, you're not getting your money back. You have to work with us here. Yeah. Let's hop into this Mortgage Bankers Association piece, um, quarterly survey of commercial multifamily um, happenings, quarterly survey of commercial multifamily Bankers Associate Bankers mm -hmm. Originations Q3. Yeah. Um, it's not up. It's probably down. Um, what's the yeah? It's this. Now? It's not a full report as much as just like a data release. But this data on CRE. Right that's why. That's why folks are here. They're, they're <laughs> that's here right. We got. Data. We can break it down for you. Um, and uh, but to be honest, it, this data really just confirms what we've already been going through. Um, the numbers give you an idea of the scope of the issue, and it's good numeric proof of this clear change that we really have lived through. We've noted and discussed, and and really cogitated upon, and um, and to see what are we on cogit cogitated, cogitated. <laughs> uh, and and really just to see it laid out here is uh it is really effective and um and it puts you know it puts things to the test in a way that you, you really don't you, you don't see in that graph is specifically is what i was thinking about is um you can see how much the originations have changed from um from 2020 2021 where they q4 where they really peaked to uh to 2023 and really you know we're not we're not at the 2019 rates at the at the moment we are currently you know hovering around the 2015 rates of originations mm. um 2023 is equivalent to and that's not even accounting for like interest or uh for inflation or anything naturally you would see yeah. this increase but we've really kind of backslid and specifically it's um multifamily originations are down 50 percent from last year and if you do the math, they're actually down like 41% from the pre-pandemic 2019 numbers. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives you this idea that like, oh, even in a normal pre-pandemic era, we're, you know, we're only like 59% of where we should be. Yeah. And I would argue that the increased competition from investors should should mean that we should have more. Uh, we should have a bigger number there, but but we're just not there. And And I also think, you know, even even more more broadly, it's it's interesting to see how other CRE effect sectors have gone through this a similar process in the past three years. There's a few instructive base effect examples that you can see too that show um show how a large decrease one year can make an increase the following year seem so much larger. Um, if you scroll down to this table that they have, um, where they have this information, and and I'm looking specifically at hotel. So in 2020, ho the, uh, hotels, there was a 94% decrease from the year before. And then the following year, 2021, there was an 866% increase yeah. in loan originations. So, but really, if you're going with that 2020 number, 
So you're going from like 6% of the 2019 number. And then after that 86, 866% increase, you're really at like 58% of the 2019 numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, the big numbers following the, the big decreases and, and that's, it's just really a little interesting. A bit of a swing right there. Yeah, it, it is a huge swing and, and I, it does seem like, you know, you can- And now they're down 52%. Yeah. Well, and the other interesting thing here is for all these sectors, you see the big swing up in investment in 2021 and then it dips down in 2022 and down even further in 2023, yeah. um, except for healthcare is this weird exception- Yeah, health, healthcare's- Where it like- like it, it actually, while every, everyone else sank, or uh, I'm sorry, where everyone else uh, dipped down in 2022, that was where it peaked for the past four years. So it was, um, it didn't have as big of an upswing in 2021, but it had a big upswing in 2022. And now it's having a big fall off. Yeah, it has the, it, it now healthcare has the biggest fall off in investment of all the, of all the sectors. So just strangely different timing because you would think that um, 2022 would be more subdued due to interest rates, but there's must be, must've been some other, some other pushes there. I wonder if there was some more increased investment projects that got started in 2020. Yeah. I was going to say it could be have a lot slightly different, you know, drivers yeah and, and, and not you know the pandemic may yeah yeah exactly effect and um, like let's get them let's get more built and and that kind of thing but um we have to build uh we test the covid testing centers yeah yeah, every, yeah. everywhere <laughs> it, it, so but ultimately um the the picture of this is uh is one of reduced transactions no matter how you slice it we are right. you know we're seeing lower transactions and it's um and you know it's hard not to think that it's from the higher interest rates um and i also think and we'll see this here in other um in in other articles that these higher interest rates also accompany like a more stricter position from the banks yeah. and a more a greater you kind of alluded to this but a greater awareness of the um of like the riskiness of of certain assets now if you want to if we can skip ahead to the reuters article yeah, i think that hits that. on the nail on the head really of this idea of risk and and where the banks are when it comes to risk and where um even more importantly i guess uh where u.s regulators are um you know the headline here is u.s regulators agree to ramp up oversight of systemically risky non-banks which i think is that's some pretty powerful implications behind this vague non-bank descriptor so it doesn't it seems a little harmless um but it's i think that i mean they're basically taking aim at a large group of people and institutions that provide money to others but aren't technically classified as a bank um and this is one of those things and i i was talking to you before uh before before recording here about, uh, you know, I I'm kind of confusing myself if I think about it too much because there's so many things that a bank lender does that are pretty similar to an investor. I know that there's a different difference, different position in the capital stack, different risk rates, guarantees, but like a bank is kind of doing, you know, they're giving money today in exchange for money later. Oh, the one's, um, got a, one's got a charter from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, and I think, well, and that I think is, that's what I was kind of anticipating. That's it's like the, the key difference there is, Yes, is that has the kind of imp imprimatur of the government and has that officialness and which which also comes with regulations. And um, I think that the that reserves the government. Well, I mean, the government. I'm I, joking. Yeah, I, sort of. Really. I, I would. I would put it in the same box. But it, they. It's, got, got, it's gotten the license from the cartel. The car, they've yeah. gotten the. They've gotten the thumbs up. Um, but like it, it just does like 
It gets me thinking about this fuzzy line between private investment and a more strictly regulated bank yeah. um, and what rules the banks are required to follow and the capacity of these yeah. banks to follow the rules. Yeah. And I I'm, I may be speaking out of turn here, but I think the open implication, and I've got a couple more paragraphs in my notes here, but the open implication is, is this going to be a case where the big non-banks are going to help the, the regulators set the rules and uh, and then the smaller non-bank lenders are not are going to be kind of cut out of it, are, are not going to be able to operate like they wanted to, which it seems counterintuitive. If you're trying to reduce systemic risk, wouldn't you want that spread around more smaller banks? That yeah, have... How is Jamie Dimon going to, you know... Yeah, that's true. He's got grow JP Morgan, yeah. you know, yeah. chase another, you know, trillion dollars in assets or whatever. Yeah. That's not going to help. That's not going to help him. Yeah. I, so if you, <laughs> it, that's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we've seen. The get out of our way. This is our, this is our turf. We're it, getting our, we're getting our, it, you know, the hired thugs yeah. in the Biden administration yeah. to come and, you know. Crack some kneecaps. It's not as if their worries are not like completely out of place. Of, of course, you don't want people to be fleeced. You don't want uh, the markets to collapse. But also, like, I, I feel like if it's diversified under a number of smaller decision makers, rather than having like this monoculture of of well, you know what i mean yeah well so here, here here's the here's the concern yeah. and, and it's all it's all comes back to uncertainty we don't know and and mm -hmm. and we think people are making money over there let's go figure out you know what what they're doing wrong and did they, some are probably doing some wrong things there's bad actors and you know in every industry and yeah. mistakes are made and you know, that's why like in a sort of in a market and we don't have a free market but like the idea is that you know winners are rewarded and you make some bad decisions mm -hmm. and you're not, um, doesn't work like that if you're yeah. too big to fail. Um, but the idea is that, you know, if you're not a you banks have are regulated and have to follow certain rules, then, you know, they're given a charter, you know, by the, you know, the federal reserve, you know, they're, they're getting access. They're, they're, they're straight. I don't know another better word to say this, but they're right at the teat of the federal reserve. Yeah. They're, they're the closest, you know, the ones to it. They have all, they can, they have access to, the, you know, this capital. Yeah. Um, access to the Fed, and they have a lot of rules. And then post Great Financial Crisis, when Dodd Frank was passed, they classified you know certain large institutions as essentially you know too big to fail. Mm -hmm. and they have even more rules that they have to follow. You know, limiting on what banks can do, what they can invest with, what they, the reserves they have to keep, um, the activities are permitted and not permitted. And then it's a it's a lot of hand it's a lot of rules and regulations. Partially because the big banks can afford to deal with those, and but because they're so um, so heavy-handed on the regulate on the regula regulation side, it would have crippled a lot of the medium and small and the regional banks. Mm -hmm. So there's not as many as, as many restrictions um, for the non-systemically, um, you know, uh, the too yeah. big to fail um, institutions. But they're still banks, so they have to report. There's a lot of there's still a lot of regulatory requirements, reporting mm -hmm. requirements. And I'm not gonna be say that I I know every every single one by any means. But that doesn't you don't have to be a bank to lend money though. So then and that yeah. that's where it's like you assume you know, lending comes from the bank. Yeah. But like you know Matt, you know I can't borrow ten dollars. You know you there's no law that says you, I mean you can't lend me ten you know, $10 and yeah. we have an, a, a contract, an agreement, you know, in basic form, just a promissory note. I promise to pay you back and, you know, on this schedule and there's some interest and 
It is perhaps a wider sphere of human activity that they're seeking to regulate than maybe. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm not. Okay. Described. So like in reality, we're not talking about you and me, but I'm yeah, talking about. I, so let's. Yeah. So what they're talking about is, you know, a hedge fund, mm -hmm. like a uh, a Bridgewater or um, you know, any of these large, uh, large, large hedge funds, um, whether it's, you know, Citadel or, um, you know, pick your large hedge fund. And a lot of these hedge funds have gotten into the private credit business because mm -hmm. you can lend at higher rates. You can be more flexible than a bank. You can take more risk mm -hmm. and you can take, you can take, you have much more flexibility because you're not being regulated yep. like, like a bank. And again, people should be able to allow to take some more risk. Um, the concern is though, and, and it's, and it's a part of, I think a healthy part of the economy that, you know, all right, there are some players who are willing with us, willing to take a certain amount of risk mm -hmm. and are willing to accept that risk if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And there's other players that, you know, if they don't want to accept that risk, they're going to take less risk. That's healthy. Yeah. But since the banks can't take a certain amount of risk, they can't get involved um, in, in certain types of businesses. They have limits of what they can do. They can't, they can't support all the demand. And so yeah. surprise, surprise, these other lenders that have access to capital are filling the gap. And so the converse, but they don't, but there can be black boxes. Mm -hmm. and again, they're not necessarily publicly traded companies. You know, they're private companies that don't have to tell you or me or or the right, some regulators, you know, maybe the SEC, depending on, they're not like they're, they're not, it's yeah. not, they are not unregulated. There are still securities, don't... rules, laws, fraud, you know, all that still is yeah. in place. But the concern is some of these major hedge funds, they're so big. Mm -hmm. The concern is how big are those balance sheets? And if there's concerns at the banks with the loans that they made being bad on commercial real estate and these non-bank lenders have entered into the space and have been making similar loans, yeah. maybe riskier loans, maybe looser loans, do they not also have uh, potential risk? And some of these institutions are, you know, manage billions of dollars. I mean, th I mean, just think of black. Well, think, think, of, think of Blackstone. That's what I was kind of Blackstone's handing out debt. They're yeah, buying yeah. deals. You know, a bank can't. A bank can't own. They're not. They can't go and invest as equity. You know, in a multifamily deal. Mm -hmm. They're a bank. They can't do that. They can provide you a loan. But Bridgewater, you know, they'll 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 finance their own deal. That you know they can or they can give themselves a loan. Mm -hmm. They can give themselves equity. They can do whatever they want. They can structure it and and make the terms however it works for them, and that works. You know, while the market's continuing, yeah. you know, to improve and increase in value. But all of a sudden, we have an event where the values are upside down, and you know, the tides coming out. It's not coming in. Yeah, yeah. And I and and so then the risk would be. It's like the the bad thing that happens is these these investors, then they get. They don't get any returns. Well, it depends on on the deal. The concern is there's a bunch of people with made a lot of loans mm -hmm. that you know probably in the billions of billions upon billions of dollars. There's trillions of multifamily debt out there, or you just in commercial real estate debt, yeah. and the regulators don't know what it looks like, and yeah. they want to see. And the their, the question is, and again, it's like they don't know that there's anything that's that's happened. But they're saying, should we have the same rules on you that we have on J.P. Morgan Chase? Yeah, and these other too big to fail institutions. You know, so you know Blackstone, you're out here buying up everything, mm -hmm. but since you're not a bank, we can't see what you're doing. Yeah, and we want to see what you're doing to make sure you don't wreck the economy. Now, but inadvertently, because there's so much in there that if they if 
and this is what I was trying to say about like a monoculture is like, well, whatever they're underwriting, surely there's a similarity throughout Blackstone. And if they make that mistake or, you know, and if they go down, that's a that's a big chunk that goes down. That's billions of people's dollars. Um, and and that's going to make a big impact. Well, in every in like every you know institution and endowment is you know invested with Blackstone and yeah. And so you know there's an argument that you can make make that you know is Blackstone a uh, let me put it this way if we're going to have you know we're, if we're going to label institutions too big to fail you know mm-hmm. are they one that is too big to fail yeah. you know it, it to me it's like we're asking the wrong questions you know should the government be you know labeling institutions you know too big to fail or not mm-hmm. or some of the problems we're having in the economy is because we haven't allowed some of these institutions to fail yeah you know that that obviously can be controversial but you know we're kind of just stacking you know we're adding some like super glued to the house of cards a little bit yeah. of like this can't fall down but it's still pretty flimsy yeah and it and it seemed in like i kind of mentioned earlier it, it would seem that any regulation would dissuade the smaller banks to to join in well or the, the smaller banks from not only that so so you're crisis. trying to avoid an economic you know crash right mm-hmm. and so but what you're doing is you're removing a lender that is keeping the economy moving yeah if these these non-bank lenders weren't active during you know the svb crisis and the regional bank crisis that happened earlier this year who else would step in everyone else didn't want anything to do with a bank yeah. It's these other institutions that were still open to business that kept things going. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're further reducing liquidity from a market that is getting pretty dry already because you're concerned about something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And therefore you cause the thing that you are concerned about. And that's another question that I had um, here is it in a sense, this discussion kind of boils down to, or like the bad catalyst, at least for the for multifamily lending, boils down to the assets themselves. And if the assets on banks or non-banks' balance sheet are doing just fine, that's no problem. Obviously, this is we're seeing the cracks now. Um, so so then how do non-bank assessments of the market differ from bank assessment you were kind of noting like regulators probably want to know this too are their balance sheets and are there is their underwriting any different from banks and i'm i would think that you know if we're thinking about banks on one spectrum we're thinking about lp investors on the other on the other end of the spectrum when it kind of comes to like risk and the difference between an investor and a in a bank and so if banks are getting more stricter and maybe they are accepting a lower ltv um, or just kind of tightening um, their requirements, then I would think that LP, the LP investors also seeing the market right now and and saying like these risks are too expensive. And so is there another option? So where banks are shifting, becoming more restrictive then LP investors are maybe downshifting in their risk and becoming preferred equity investors. Yeah. And I also thought about it as like, yes, these preferred equity are taking more risk, but they may also be more preferred equity taking you well, than the yeah, bank. Prefer, yeah, than the bank. Sorry, yeah. the, um, th- but they're also a little closer in terms of, like the information on the market. They're a little bit, uh, you know, they may know what's go- what's happening on the ground a little bit more more closely, yeah. or at least they're just more comfortable with, with a risk. But I like to think if you're willing to take more risk, then you know a little bit more um, about something. Otherwise, if it was a guarantee, then there wouldn't be. But you, you'd like you'd like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> you'd like to think so, right? Yeah, yeah. But th- so that was my that was my thought is that you were seeing this shift of population, j- the same shift that is preventing a lot of these borrowers from going to banks is also opening up an, a, an entire new group as they kind of shift into a new uh, a, a new avenue of, of funding or investment or, you know, lending. How are you defined? 
the we we should allow market participants to to show up and, yeah. and provide supply of you know resources. The government never told anyone to do it. They just somehow did it. I don't get it. The government didn't even tell them. Uh, <sighs> anyone helping hand? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, it, it's good intentions. Yeah, you know, there's good intentions. We don't want the economy to collapse, mm-hmm. and you know, too big to fail seems scary. And you know, evil hedge funds out there, Blackstone. What yeah. are you guys doing? We want to know. We want to put. You know, we the financial industry screwed up. You know, Wall Street screwed up the last great financial crisis. You know, what what funny business? Mm-hmm. Um, what what pre crimes have you committed? You know, in yeah. in the hedge fund world and mm-hmm. non-bank lending space, and let's start prosecuting you now and tighten the. They want to tighten up the the reins before something happens, but it's going to have adverse consequences and yeah. um, unintended consequences, and, and not the effect that they want. When we actually we need the liquidity. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's like, and I hate I hate to say this, but in a disaster area. You know, the whole idea of price gouging, mm-hmm. you know, bought water is oh, expensive. Yeah, yeah. What's the motivation to bring water into the area yeah. if you can't charge any money for it? Yeah. Well, There's none. Well, the government brings the water. Yeah, then they don't and everyone dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like if it's like, it's like there's only so much water in the area, it's going for $50 a bottle, you know, the market hears that. Everyone and their moms coming down there with water bottles. All of a sudden, there's a lot of water bottles, and then you've got equilibrium in the market, and the mm-hmm. water is at a reasonable price. Yeah. Now that sounds like really cold-hearted, and now we're not talking about you know hurricane disaster zone. We're just talking about you know dollars and cents. Yeah. But like, don't get in the way of people supplying what the market you know demands. You don't know. Yeah. Like the Biden, who's even? Anyway, we don't have to talk. Who's 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 making these? Is Janet Yellen? Kamala Harris, but Joe Biden's not making any decisions. He's not making decisions. Yes. Well, (laughs) he's not making decisions. So like you got Janet Yellen and Kamala Harris. Well, ultimately, if we're, if we're talking about these regulations. We're allowed to talk about that. I don't care. (laughs) You don't care. (laughs) Uh, No, but I honestly though, like you're talking about who's making decisions. It's hard for me to, to think of any other person that wouldn't, that would be making decisions other than the leadership in the largest institutions involved in here. The largest. So Jamie Dimon is making the decisions. He's going to be make, he's going to be determining the regulation just in the same way that, that all those AI behemoths were coming up. Exactly. Exactly. Regulate us. Well, yeah, they're shutting, they're going to shut the door behind. And here's what you need to do. Yeah. It seems like they're targeting themselves but really they're protecting themselves and that's how ha- it's happened a lot of times and uh and don't worry everybody the government's here to help yeah yeah and jamie diamond here's some water bottles real page are we are we, we going to go to this real page yeah, this is a little bit pop around or yeah um, let's do the real page because i think it's a good uh it's a it's a nice uh palate cleanser i guess it's a valuable update i think on apartment market oh, fundamentals yeah. after good, we've because, talked uh, so much and, and i do need a palate cleanse is this like a ginger type situation or is this more of like um uh, this like is more like a sorbet. Nine. Yeah, it's a definitely sorbet. a sorbet. Because <laughs> it is, it, it, I like sorbet. it's hard to avoid the fact that it is cold. Um, it, it, whether we're talking about seasonal rent, weather, or or the uh, rent growth trends that we're seeing in October 2022. Um, granted. They do say that it's a plateau, but um, we are still following a seasonal rent growth decline that's more pronounced than average. And um, as RealPage talks uh, describes it beneath this headline number, which which is uh, 
rent essentially year over year rent growth stayed just about above average, like 0.1% above average. Mm -hmm. Um, for it, it was like that in um in September and October. So there was no movement there, but um, it, it, it is a little more complicated um, around what's called the base effect. And he says on a month over month basis, effective rents actually fell 0.56% in October 23. That's a lot. Yeah, that was a big little, that was a big dip. Yeah. And compared to a 0.54% cut in uh, October of last year, that those cuts, those two are the deepest for any October since the great financial crisis. Um, really big. Um, but, uh, but ultimately if, if you pair this with recent information from apartment list, there is a suggestion that this winter, um, we're going to see a smaller seasonal decline than we did um, the previous year. And I, is I that just- what call, Is that El Nino? Is that what they call that? It could be El Nino, La Nina kind is of it, thing. Or is it, it's a La Nina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly, but I'm glad that you, you've pulled Good. up these largest year-over-year -year cuts. And, and um, I, I was actually paid attention to the top markets for year-over-year -year rent growth. Um, and as a story of, now they're connecting this and very validly, I think, to the construction that was going on, and um, specifically Midland, Odessa, is this for a significant period of time during the pandemic, it was at or very near the bottom for rent growth. Mm. And you can see now they're not building, they haven't built any apartments. It's 0.0% construction rate. And they're leading a year over year effective rent change um, by about four and a half percent over uh, uh, over the next one, which is Springfield. And but but essentially, I'm, you know, there is a cause and effect the previous rent growth patterns, if they had stagnant rent, builders didn't build there. And now they're kind of coming up. Um, that's not true across the board. But it is but it is true largely if you look at the at the correlation between the construction and, and the effective rent change. Um, well, it, it's something that I know Jay Parsons has talked about a lot. We've been talking about a lot, but you know, supply, he says it right here, it's all yeah. about supply. I mean, that is the biggest impact to just apartment operations this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, every just about every market is affected with more supply than it has seen yeah. you know, historically. And so, you know, you've got a lot of nice units that are coming online. Um, at competitive pricing, mm -hmm. and it's really in favor of the of the renter. Um, so it's a great time to go negotiate a lease on a nice new apartment building if yeah. you can afford it, and that the, the rents are cheap. Especially now, if you want to scroll down, if if you're going at some of these hot markets like Boise, Idaho, which was going crazy, um, but I mean, now I saw that guy. I mean, that was like a class, yeah, that was yeah. too hot, flew a little too close to the sun. Yeah, so and for for a market of a, of that size too, it's it's in Austin is 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 a little similar. Although that, that's probably a larger market than than Boise. Although um, both of them similarly have about fourteen to fifteen and a half percent of their inventory uh, is new construction, and um, and their effective rent change was about six to six and a half percent decrease uh year over year that's a pretty big number especially con considering the average is 0.1 you know is about zero yeah um now again as a renter though you know there's competition yeah but you know they saw they experienced you know 30 percent rent growth so you know a decline of 6.4 percent is nice that it's not increasing mm -hmm. it's gone down a little bit doesn't it doesn't seem cheap to it doesn't cheap seem cheap to anybody yeah. And that's where, you know, we're here saying that it's never been a better time to rent compared to buy. Mm -hmm. It's just a hard time to get into real estate, no matter from what angle, yeah. really. Yeah. It, it's not cheap anywhere. 
Um, but fortunately with apartments, you know, you have to have a place, people need a place to live. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, 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 you know, relatively inelastic demand. Mm -hmm. There's a decent amount of household formation going on that again. So that's where the, you know, the fundamentals, you know, you know, make, make sense, but just, you got a lot of new units coming online. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a competitive market. Yeah. Yeah. It's a competitive market. And, uh, and and it's definitely been, been, been shown how, how all of these, even, even the ones that are growing and the population are growing, they have been impacted materially by the fact that they've built, built more apartments and, and I'm sure that they'll grow out of it. And I think a lot of these have, have had huge supplies probably in 2022, in addition to this year, Um, especially the ones that kind of caught fire early and were even popular beforehand, like Phoenix. Um, There was, you know, and there's still a huge Sunbelt story in Atlanta and stuff. And, and like that, you know, before the pandemic, what, and remote working was this big thing. People were still talking about moving. That was the big, you know, that was the big sources go to the Sunbelt. And, um, and I'm sure that, that they have just had, such an increase upon an increase that has helped them to yeah, everybody had kind of the same idea of let's yeah. go let's go build in um the sunbelt and, and it and it will the properties the thesis will work out over time it's just it may have to change hands a couple of times a couple of people may have to take a yeah maybe an l or not a big w um a lo- lowercase w but just this um paragraph um below this graph man I, I think really encapsulates encapsulates a lot of it um, I, th- I thought i was going to Sounds smart by saying all that, but in the high supply areas, lease ups are having a bigger than expected impact on even lower priced apartments. Hmm. Occupancy has declined in all asset classes and in turn rents have fallen. That pattern appears likely to continue through 2024. Heads in beds is the industry mantra these days, which means operators give on rents in order to protect occupancy. We'd rather have, you know, we'd rather have 1200 coming in than you know, my rent was fifteen hundred. I'd rather have twelve hundred than zero. Yeah, in that unit, um, because when you go a week after week after week and you don't sign a lease, um, you start to make some of those decisions. We we just need more income coming in. Yeah, you know, yeah. okay, you know, we're 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 definitely not going to hit our budget. Certainly not going to hit our budget if we're you know sub ninety percent occupancy, um, and, and that's just the case with a lot of these operators. Um, but again, you know, on the positive fundamentals, you know, the, the next piece, Matt, is talking about again, wages are actually out, you know outpacing rents. Yeah. Um, and so it's setting you know, again. The renter is in a relatively good position. It's setting a, it's setting the industry up for again a really good position in eighteen months, eighteen to twenty four months. Um, you know, so on the plus side, October will almost certainly. Will almost certainly mark the 11th consecutive month where wage increases outpace rent increases, a trend that'll likely persist through next year. And that could erase all of the rent over wage bump of 2021, early 2022. That's very, that's, very interesting. That's, that's big. Yeah. That's big. And as mid and upper income renters continue to move up from older units to newer, typically pricier units, that affordability gain should help backfill older, moderately priced units. The current, no, I'm just going to finish this off just uh jay parsons just puts it really well all the time the current supply wave extends into early 2025 after that supply will drop off precipitously due to rapid slowing construction starts this year in turn occupancy rates should rebound and rent growth pick back up though unlikely to the degree seen in the inflation periods of 2021 22 that's definitely for sure and yeah this is the you know the kind of shadow over 
2024 when it comes to a rent growth perspective, although pretty great for for renters. Yeah. And then it clears yeah. up in 2025, not the least of which is supply trends. There are these wage trends that should only continue, barring a, uh, you know, a kind of full blown recession. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, you know, there are some strong fundamentals, you know, if you get to the center of the of it, uh, they're they're not so bad. It is we're not at a crisis point. No, it's just, just we've been heads built a lot in a handful of places yeah. and um, somebody printed too much money yeah. and we got high inflation. And so we got high interest rates. And um, it doesn't mean people don't need a place to live and yeah. are going to need a place to live. And um, we're still imbalanced on that, Matt. I think this all let's let's shift to this Cushion Wakefield article. Yeah, multi-family so monthly it's a preferred little, equity update. It's a little bit of kind of retracing our discussion that that we had over, uh, on the uh, Reuters, the Reuters article and the Mortgage Bankers Association stuff. Should so I have what, done the the Cushman after the Reuters? Yeah, I made this mistake. We should have done this first, Matt, but that's fine. Okay. It still Matt, gives us Matt. a distinct definition of preferred equity and its use um, by borrowers and lenders, which we've kind of described too. Mm. Um, it also signals the growing prominence, like I mentioned before, and I just want to use this as kind of supporting evidence that people are talking about, and, th- and this is becoming a topic of conversation and of business plans um, about you know preferred equity in the current state of things. Uh, so the quote here, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth people, it here. People are talking about preferred equity? Oh, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think so. This is at least, and, and again, like I sometimes feel like my own biases and the discussions that we have at Great Capital affect mm. the news that I gather. But dang, if every week no, the I'm stuff we talk about, I'm just giving you insight. <laughs> the stuff we talk about comes up in the news. Like we are, we're, we're basically predicting the future. So that's, it's good to know. I think that I'd rather think that than, um, than I am guided or biased in any way. Um, but what yeah. Cushman says about about preferred equity, they said, compared to senior interest rates, borrowers were able to obtain prior to 2022. Preferred equity may at first seem expensive. However, the cost of preferred equity has not changed meaningfully mm. over the last year, while senior interest rates have continued to rise. In the case of agency loans, the borrower has the choice between preferred equity behind a Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae loan. Um, Freddie Mac preferred equity includes a hard current pay, which includes the Pref investor additional rights and remedies in the case of missing a hard current payment. Now, I'm not really sure what that means, but that's a oh man, we got a lot, we got, all, we got some work. To that's do a now. little bit, a little bit in the weeds. Now, family uh, Fannie Mae preferred equity is mostly soft current pay, meaning that any missed portion is capitalized and accrues without penalizing the borrower. There are fewer Fannie Mae preferred equity investors since many are focused on the rights and remedies that come with a hard current pay structure. So, my guess is. Uh, uh, it, it, I don't know. Something they like. Uh, they like Freddie Mac a little bit more. However, there are plenty of family Fannie preferred equity options, and there's little differentiation between Fannie and Freddie preferred equity at the margin. Um, they're taking on. When you say when you're saying Fannie and Freddie preferred equity, are you saying this is preferred equity provided by Fannie and Freddie? Or are you talking about the, f- the preferred equity that they will allow to go um, in a supporting position to their? I believe I believe that we're talking about uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac preferred equity. It seems like Freddie Mac, they say Freddie Mac preferred equity includes a hard current pay. Now, this is actually if you scroll down to the it's near the bottom of um, of the article here. Yeah, there we go. Um, And it it does it it does raise an interesting question of like so. So Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac are these large lenders and they're in they are now entering into this preferred equity instead of maybe lps going now that are, and how many banks are going to be 
going into a preferred equity like and that's the thing banks really can't um they're because they're banks yeah they're, they're not they're not equity investors okay so how can Fran fannie mae and freddie mac get away with it well they're not a bank okay but they're doing they're lender it's okay okay it's still they're quasi government you know quasi government what they want i guess entity yeah um um no, the preferred equity um, is coming from our non-bank lenders, Mez shops, preferred equity groups. Okay. Um, and I, I have, and that's where I, I don't, again, I, I could be wrong. I don't, Freddie Mac, from my understanding of like recent discussions, like today, Freddie mm -hmm. Mac is exploring being able to offer preferred equity. Okay. Um, but they're they're not yet. I think that what I think is Cushman and Wakefield is this, this is an advertisement for Cushman and Wakefield's mm -hmm. preferred equity offerings that yeah. can go behind. Um, you know, uh, agency agency debt in the agencies. You know, because preferred equity can uh, appear in a couple different forms, and it, sometimes it can appear more like debt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can appear more like actual equity that's mm -hmm. kind of just like capped. You know, they can be. There's a lot of flexibility in preferred equity, which is why borrowers are are interested in it to fill gaps in their capital stack, because you can have a the the total pay, but then there can be a certain amount that's paid, you know, upfront, like a preferred return, mm -hmm. you know, like a eight, ten percent, and then, but the total, you know, coupon or the total actual payment may be fourteen, fifteen percent, but that difference just accrues to the back end to when okay. the preferred equity position matures, um, and you know, it can be one, three, five year, you know, terms. There can be teeth that goes along with the preferred equity, um, you know. So there's a lot of different varieties, and and the agency Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, um, you know, both have very specific ideas of what that subordinate debt yeah. or that subordinate capital looks like, because mm -hmm. they don't necessarily want you to be bring on additional debt. They want to keep the loan to loan to value in a certain range, mm -hmm. so it has to look a certain way. So they're like, okay, that's just equity. Yeah, it it. I don't know enough about the Freddie Mac and, and Fannie Mae offerings when it comes to preferred equity, but it does seem like, you know, as, uh, apart from my re recitation of all like these terms and stuff that I don't quite understand, um, but it, it, it does seem like a good evidence that uh, a, an increasing number of institutions are uh, are are interested and involved in in preferred equity and and I I think that it is particularly interesting that it's on Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae's radar and why would they even offer they're like the ones that are offering the big loans like what is their you know so they got borrowers they got borrowers with gaps yeah and so and so they're specifically and the piece that we're looking at right now again it's Christian Wakefield. Field piece. Cushman Wakefield and Greystone have had a closer and closer relationship. Mm -hmm. had, they have a partnership. You know, there's been talk of a merger. Probably not right now because the values are down. So, so mm -hmm. the merger's off, but there's definitely a, a relationship. And this piece is it's essentially an advertisement for um, you know, Cushman Wakefield, but also um Greystone and their new um offering. Okay. Um and so I mean I know this is this is cut off, but I'll I'll read it real quick um so you don't so you don't have to. Um, essentially, it says, you know, Greystone announces equity platform utilizing Greystone balance sheet. While we're permissible, as well as market relationships, provide third-party equity and preferred equity solutions to Cushman and Wakefield, Greystone clients. Um, you, know, you got to get in touch with somebody. But what they're seeing is this gap in the mm -hmm. market where they're trying to close deals. And there's an equity gap. Yeah. People can't yeah. raise the common equity. The need um, is there. The, the, the need is there. And so you're seeing more and more participants. And Greystone is getting into this space specifically. 
Um, Freddie Mac is uh, figuring out how to do it. And we're getting into the space also, Matt. Yep. Um, you know, we're looking at deploying preferred equity for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, we have the ability we have the ability to do so, and we see a really interesting sweet spot to get invested into real estate, mm-hmm. um, but earn a higher return with actually taking less risk. Yeah. Um, and you know, great capital, we're in a unique position of where. You know, we, we, we have the capital available, but we're also an operator. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in cases where, you know, something doesn't go, you know, the right direction and, you know, the, the asset becomes distressed, you know, if need be, you know, when we're working with the the, the sponsor group and, and the lender to create a, you know, win-win solution. But we have a variety of tools that we can use to kind of come in and um, kind of right the ship and get things yep. moving that, um, you know, some, you know, lenders or private equity um, pref, pref equity investors they may not have those resources or capabilities. They're really just looking at it from, you know, from they're really acting as a lender and yep. just in a different kind of risk profile from maybe a different investor base. Um, and so they're, they're but it, it's a, it's, there's, we've been talking about this gap mm-hmm. for a while that there's going to be a shortfall, the low maturity, you don't know, yep. you're not coming back enough money. You know, what are you going to do? You need to yep. fill the gap. You go back to your investors they may have no interest in meeting your capital call. They mm-hmm. might not have the ability to meet your capital call. You may not want to ask your investors yeah. to make a capital call. And so people are looking, shopping for, you know, additional solutions that are flexible. Again, that that that's what's interesting with, you know, preferred equity. So like if someone brings us a deal, we can size it to where, you know, what can the what, what the cash flow from the door, what can the deal support yeah. in terms of new capital? Mm-hmm. And we can figure out what that payment is. And then we can accrue the rest of it on the back end. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, things are going to ideally improve in you know, three to five years through refinance or a capital event or a sale mm-hmm. you know, gives you the time. But, you know, the preferred equity is capped. So we're taking you know, some of our upside off the table and saying, you know, just the total pay is, you know, 14, 15. You're only going to pay us, you know, eight to 10, you know, along the way. The rest of it comes, you know, when you sell a re- refinance. Mm-hmm. It, they don't have to pay that full boat, but then to our investors, we're getting comp- we're getting compensated for the risk. Yeah. But the total returns um, to our investors are higher than a lot of other deals we're seeing in the market right now from common equity. Yep. But if you're a sponsor that says, "Hey, you no, know, this deal is awesome. I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit a 20 IRR," which I think is really hard to do in this market, but people are saying they can do it. Okay. Well, if you think you can do it, then we're capped at fifteen. That additional five percent that flows to you and your investors, yeah. so you get more upside. Maybe that twenty turns into twenty two, twenty two, twenty five, or something. Mm-hmm. Probably twenty two. But so it, it's much more flexible than like just like a mes loan, which is like always a hard pay. And it's just, it's just a loan. Yeah. It, okay. Here's it's nine percent interest. I need nine percent. Mm-hmm. You know, versus a pref equity, it's like we can get down to six percent. Yeah. You know, or we can even maybe five percent. Now there's gonna be more on the back end. There's a lot of different ways to structure yeah. it that can work for a sponsor, not kill the deal, allow them to fight to win. Um love to fight another day. I'm just imagining all the regulations that you could apply to those. The flexibility. No regulations, right? Matt. We don't need <laughs> we don't need anyone. Well, why all these, all these options, every single thing that you said, you know. Uh, whether it's on the back end or the front end and, and all of the flexibility that is being exercised right now exactly. for people to help. Uh, Don't do that. We can't do that now. We got to regulate that. No. There's Fortunately, rule, we're not the size of, the, of Blackstone just yet. Yeah. So I don't think we're not, we're not in the crosshairs yeah. and, and the non-bank lending stuff. They're really just talking about the big, the big, the big guys. Again, yeah. Like the, like specifically Bridgewater and Blackstone and probably 
some some similar firms. Yeah. So I think we're in the clear. But uh, don't give don't give anybody ideas, <laughs> Matt. Please, we, I, it's, I love um, a good regulation. <laughs> I, I I I love a good I love a good regulation. It's yeah. just it doesn't seem like it comes from the federal government ever. Yeah, yeah. Even on the like, I understand. I, it's it's easy. It's easy for me to understand. Like, okay, there's always like a good intention to some of these regulation, but man, for some for some of these that are the one that that we kind of discussed today, it's it's a it's a little too easy to see through it. Um, and I don't know. Maybe more pain will come. And, and, and the more stories we hear about investors getting burned, this story about, uh, about regulation may, uh, may continue to percolate and may continue to develop. So yeah, keep an eye on that. Well, Matt equity or sorry, capital, um, debt thought it was tight. It is getting a little tighter. Freddie Mac, um, got some issues going on, um, Lender, I believe New York-based lender, um, reading capital, a little bit of hot water. Mm-hmm. Freddie Mac is investigating. Um, Matt, this isn't good because, you know, basically they're going to basically pre-review anything that's coming from a broker, which Meridian Capital was a broker. They are, they're now going through a pre-review process. And apparently there's a bunch of, you know, things that just weren't necessarily the case. The underwriting wasn't good. A lot mm-hmm. of numbers may have been, you know, I, I don't know if there's conversations of fraud. I don't want to disparage anything, but yeah, New York-based um, Ernie Cavill. It's almost like I've read the article, Matt. Um, <laughs> one of con- the country's largest brokers of commercial real estate, subject of an investigation by Freddie Mac, the Real Deal reports, citing anonymous sources, of course, but from our own sources, this is very much a real thing. Um, and then Meridian, who was, I mean, if you've been in any industry event and if you're a multifamily sponsor, these, the Meridian folks have probably reached out, you know, to you to try to, you know, hook you up with some debt and, um, decently, you know, ag- aggressive, I'd say, um, in terms of what they would promise or say, maybe not promise, but say they could deliver mm-hmm. their clients in terms of proceeds. I mean, I don't want to get into the stories, my personal stories, but Freddie Mac has been a major source of Meridian's business. Freddie Mac has characterized it as a temporary pause. Um, they're not responding immediately to queries from BizNow. Come on, you're not going to give BizNow um, the the deets. <laughs> um, but an unnamed Meridian Capital broker has been put on leave. Um, the company is working with Freddie Mac as the investigation proceeds. In a statement sent to TRD, Meridian said it is committed to compliance with industry standards and best practices. Um, I fear what their perception of industry standards and best practices are just knowing what some of the other New York groups, um, what they, what, how, how they look at deals. Now, again, lo- love a lot of folks in New York. I'm just saying mm-hmm. we got some folks that are moving, moving, moving fast. Yeah. And well, this, this is, doesn't happen when markets are good. I was just going to say that <laughs> I was like, this is, you know, this is the, yeah, this is the proof, right? Where the pressure's on and now you, now you see the you know, every, Yeah. Everybody in the market's good. You know, no one's getting hurt. Everything's yeah. fine. All, all, all is good. Mm-hmm. But it's when that, again, you know, again, it's the age old saying, you know, the tide's coming out. Who's been swimming yeah. naked? Who's been just doing stuff that makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. And we're just yoloing 
every single day. They're just they're like, let's issue let's issue the loan, let's buy the deal, the numbers uh-huh. don't matter, just ching to ching because the party's gonna continue to go, cap rates are just gonna stay low, they're gonna get lower, we're gonna make a million after a million after a million. We all read, you know, Grant Cardone, you know, 10X, we're going to, whatever we're doing, we got a 10X it. How do we do that? Yeah. Well, just maybe some mild, you know, fraud, which I'm not saying that they're doing. I'm just saying that's something that some people probably have done. Yeah. And I think that it is a slow moving, uh, the, the slow moving nature of these maturities and stuff and the, and the tendency. We're not going to get invited to their party. Okay. I, mean, oh, I didn't mean to see that. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I I think that it is interesting that this, yeah, this is a proof that the conditions are, leave people a little more sensitive, a little bit more vulnerable. It's a little bit more closer to the bone right now than uh, than it used to be where there was some cushion, whether you're an operator or uh, a broker or a lender. Yeah. Um, but now like there's, there's scrutiny, there is less things that are available um, and, uh, and things are getting, you know, fortunately, I think that the market is, is adapting and there are, there there are other solutions out there, but but the solutions come to come with people that are, they will reward people paying attention. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the whole details are behind this investigation. Um, but it, yeah, I would take it as the fact that like, yeah, this wouldn't happen if things were going great. No, um, no, you know, cap rates compress and they get paid back and no one would be asking any questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and getting back to it, and I don't think I finished train of thought, you know, earlier in the conversation, again, multifamily, when everything is going smooth, and again, why people got mm-hmm. so interested as an investment c- class as an LP is, because you can invest in a deal and it could throw up 8%, you know, day one, yeah. you know, all t- and you're getting 8%, then it get up to 9, 10, 11, 12% that you're sending, you know, annualized returns all the time. Cap rates are compressed, bam, you're 2Xing, you know, your money after a couple of years, you do that for five, six years. You know, you, you certainly tell your friends, we're going to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what because people were, you know, getting even more than 2x and even higher than 8% cash on cash. Yeah. Um, but then in the last, you know, year or so, all of a sudden those, those sponsors, they, they learned something that like, you know, you don't even have to, um, you can get the cash flow if you can just get to that exit, those cap rates compress. And if yeah. you can double your money and people's money in two years, you know, the cash flow is less important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can even, you know, and again, this is talking to not us, but other sponsors, I can even bring on extra money and I can basically kind of fake those distributions for a year or two. Yep. I'm not going to know anything. Capri's looking press. We'll refipe everybody out or we'll just sell the thing, double our mo- double their money, throw out a 30 IRR. We look like geniuses again. Yeah. Well, you know, the music has stopped. Yeah. The music has stopped. Find a chair. There aren't enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's not enough money around and people overpaid. Yep. And all of a sudden, that that not promised but perceived preferred return that's always going to be that at eight percent ain't there anymore. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, best case scenario, you're getting four. You know, if anything, yeah, distributions have stopped in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. There are capital calls. You have to put more money in. You know, you, you assets and liabilities. You know, not necessarily always the most sophisticated. Mr. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, what's an asset and liability? An asset, something that puts money into my pocket. A liability is something that takes it out. And so all these mm-hmm. people thought that they were buying assets. If Robert Kiyosaki told you to and Grant Cardone told you to. Yep. And those assets are very quickly looking like liabilities. Yep. Because you're going to have to put more money in the deal and it might go to zero. Mm-hmm. So, again, everyone thought this business was easy and- there are parts that can be relatively straightforward, 
But this is the these are the times when the men are separated from the boys. Yeah, Matt, I remember. And who's an actual yeah. operator, and who's just here, just screwing around, yeah. and who, you know, try to ten x a little too quick, and flew, flew just a little bit too close to the sun, and the, the the wax wings aren't working. Yeah, well, and I remember this was a this was a an article. I think it was from Urban ULI. This was like three years ago when someone was saying, you know, this is multifamily or commercial, but specifically multifamily. They're not a uh, it's not a passive income. It is a marginal income, mm-hmm. and um, the, you know. Coincident with calling it marginal is uh, is the fact that you're going to be actively involved in, in owning it and operating it, or uh, or you're not really doing really well. I heard a story that's like the GP is like leaving, and it's like the LPs are yeah. trying to figure out what to do. Like that's not what they signed up for. Yeah, yeah. But that, but that is often what 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 happens when something goes wrong. It's up to the LPs to be like, all right, we got you. Know, we have to sue somebody. We have to make. How do we make this right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it becomes a lot of work. And I mean, it doesn't have to be you know, real estate, it could be, it can be anything. I mean, I know of a deal that was, you know, in the private credit space is mm-hmm. all supposed to be diversified across a lot of different businesses. And it was all concentrated in one deal and it blew up and it went wrong during COVID and, you know, tens of millions of dollars just poof, you know, were wow. gone. Yeah. And, you know, the sponsor, you know, violated the terms of the, their agreement. And, you know, so it's like that they're, but where's the money? It's gone. Yeah. And, um, and then, then as an LP, you know, you have to try to do whatever you can to get it back, but um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's a lot of work. Yeah, um, I, I I'm really proud, you know, of our team mm-hmm. and the positions that we're in and not in right yeah. now. You know, we don't have, we're not facing a single, you know, near term loan maturity mm-hmm. at all, at all. We have more potential investment capital ready to deploy, and. I think we're going to find some incredible deals. We're going to be um, we're going to be deploying preferred equity, mm-hmm. filling this gap. So a lot of sponsors. If you are a sponsor, get in touch with the Great Capital team. We do have pref equity available, kind of in the range of half a million at the five million bucks. We can close quick. You know, call it a uh, you know twenty one thirty days. Get it done. Um, if you're an accredited investor, especially you know re- uh, registered investment advisor, wealth manager. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the right fit to you. We're, we're putting these deals together. We're going to do a couple one-offs, and we're going to we're going to be launching a fund here shortly. Um, because if we can, you know, get, you know, if we can achieve twelve percent to fifteen percent returns um, for taking less risk, we think that's a much more advantageous position. And the opportunity, if, if things don't go, you know, don't go right, and the operator fails, stepping in and taking over the whole deal, there could be an asymmetric. Um, upside to the deal itself. And then all along the way, we're building the most robust pipeline of opportunities Mm -hmm. Um, because we're speaking to every sponsor that has a deal, every sponsor that's looking to sell a deal. Um, We're working directly with banks, with lenders. We're a preferred operator with some of our our banking partners, bring deals to us to help work out, deploying this preferred equity in areas that they can't. And so we've taken this time over the last couple of months, Matt, to position ourselves to be in the front of the line for when the opportunities come and go on the offense while, you know, while protecting ourselves, taking less risk, 
getting a higher rate of return. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because we're on the we're going on the offense. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to mention this too. It's not as if you know we talked a lot about these worst case scenarios of of these kind of I, I almost want to say like deadbeat sponsors that just walk away from there yeah. and leave people in the lurch. But but I'm sure there's some really good sponsors who are like majority this, of the yeah. people that are even in need of of preferred equity have you know it's just a little slice that they're looking for and it was oh it's a good deal yeah it's just a good deal and thought interest rates were going to go yeah to, yeah you know where they are like these the the rise in interest rates yes have punished the the dummies yeah for sure like these the freewheeling idiots i'm sure they got punished and i'm not really worried about them <laughs> or but just you just took, much, smart, took much took you know you know but it's, yeah it's also punishing the people that were making reasonable decisions they just weren't anticipating you know an, an incredibly steep interest rate increase no yeah, ex- i mean if you go back to 2021 the mm-hmm. fundamentals it's like super solid the yeah. rates are low the rent growth is high you know the it, it oh ton made sense the, the mistake was the thinking that you know that the interest rates would just stay the same that they yeah. would just stay so low for forever or and that things would stay in that environment which just was um not realistic yeah. and, and just outside of the realm of real possibility so you know now again you know time's refracting things are slowing down yeah and we're gonna have to get through the slow period until we can kind of get back to it um but again i think it, we found the, the the solution right now for mm-hmm. not just investors but also sponsors and operators out there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and again, you know, Greystone's launching it now. You know, Freddie Mac's launching something. You know, these big groups are launching similar programs. Yeah. Great Capital is going to be a little bit different. We're a little more flexible, and we are an operator, so we really have. They don't know the business, but we know what it takes to be an operator yeah. and how to look at deals from a, an operator's perspective, and have the ability to come in, provide construction management, asset management, property management mm-hmm. on some of these deals. Um, that that's why the banks are working with us directly um, instead of just shopping around or whatever that's coming right to us um, yeah. because you know we can we know what we know what it takes and we have the resources and the people to you know yeah. write the ship or to say no this is this going down it's a time to write it off yeah yeah so Matt to, and it's a lot of exciting opportunities yeah. um, again if you're an accredited investor. Get in touch with us if you're interested in participating in one of these preferred equity deals. And if you're a multifamily, you know, owner or operator, and you do have a gap um, in your fundraise, um, we are offering very flexible terms. Um, and again, you know, kind of half a million to five million bucks. Mm-hmm. You can close in about thirty days. I'm assuming you know that all, you know, makes sense. Um, just get in touch with us. We'll send you a term sheet over. Get the process started. Um, we're hoping to do $50 million of preferred equity in the next six months, Matt. Um, so, you know, cool. but it doesn't mean we're not buying deals. Yeah. Um, if we see an opportunity that makes sense for our investors, you know, we're going to go after, you know, incredibly aggressively, you mm-hmm. know, full court. But um, we want to be able to offer our investors an opportunity to still participate in high returning real estate opportunities. And then also just seeing the the demand that is percolating and is only going to be increasing mm-hmm. um this you know it's why we're going down the route of you know kind of being in this preferred you know equity space yeah. so it's 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 going to be exciting and hopefully be able to save a lot of deals um help in partner with a lot of really good operators um expand our portfolio and um, yeah. do a lot of really good business over the next year or so i i think so too i think that you know there's a lot of problems 
that have that have emerged in this year and probably will still emerge in yeah. in next year. Um, but it has at least been a little bit heartening to know that the, that the market is is coming up with solutions. Um, and uh, you know, time will tell how robust those are. Yeah, uh, maybe we need more regulations. <laughs> Man. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, but Ew, no, I'm just us? kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that uh, that it, it, it is heartening. And the, the fact that we're involved in it is, is particularly exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I mean, you know, you, you, the Federal Reserve can use some regulations or at That's least true. we could like yeah. see what's on their books. It'd be yeah. nice. Yeah. You know, a little, little, I mean, they, they sort of they show what's on their books, but little, you know, little, little audit yeah. would be yeah. nice. It'd be interesting. That's a good point. What could what could what could go wrong? Talk about too big to fail. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. I they, agree. They, they print the money. So. <laughs> All right. Um, this was great, um, Matt. This was an, an excellent episode. Um, this was a lot of fun. Make sure you're subscribed um, to the Great Capital YouTube channel. So we're doing this, you know, once a week. We got the the complex uh, mm-hmm. Katrina Greens, our director of property management. She has an awesome podcast. If you want to learn more about operatic apartment operations, um, if you're in the property management world or you're an investor, you want to learn what it takes to manage one of these properties. Yeah, there's no one better than Katrina. She brings on all star guests in the industry, deep knowledge, deep dives. It's really high quality oh, yeah. stuff. Way way better than whatever this this, this you know. From all angles, is. maintenance. She had someone um, from the apartments.com social media team talking about you know where she draws like kind of inspiration and all yeah. these like little yeah. strategies and there's a lot to property management and so there, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff that she. Oh, talks I know about, it, so. it, it. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. Check it out. It's called the Complex. You can find it on the Great Capital YouTube channel. Um, you know wherever you get your podcast. Um, check us out on LinkedIn. You know we're pretty active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn chatting talking don't send us you may send us a message it's fine uh <laughs> but uh but leave, i'd rather just leave a comment on on yeah. the youtubes mm-hmm. um and then you can tell us um wow you guys are not smart smart we're not really looking for smart or not smart just tell us what you like what you want to hear next time if your opinion um you know what's going on with these non-bank lenders should they be regulated to the tilt um, do they need a little bit of regulation? Am I just, you know, way too paranoid, you know, of, of the federal government in general? So yeah. I'm just like, just knee jerk reacting to anything yeah, yeah. That, 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 that says regulation um, or, you know, our thoughts on the market. Let us know where we're wrong, what you're seeing. Um, we're not here saying that we are smarter than anybody. In fact, we're not. We just, you know, play um, these roles on <laughs> the YouTube. Uh, we, we might also happen to have like, $750 million of assets under management. I think we've got about 6,700 units in the portfolio right now. That's not what's important. What's important is you smash the like button. That's <laughs> subscribe. right. Subscribe. That's all we need. Okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs>